Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 66th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack. And lads, we have a barn burner in for today. It's a crossover episode. We got CHN Radio. We got the False Nines. And as you might expect, we are talking about everything Super League, Super Liga, the Galactic League, the Space Jam of European football. It's going to be a good one today. Uh, alongside my co-host, Adam Goffin, Elijah Newsom, and Greg Troxell. Uh, I'll ask you guys all at once. What's up, lads? Well, do we answer at once? Yeah, whatever. Just go for it. <laughs> it's going to be a chaotic episode, so let's start it off that way. What's up? I'm feeling very super today. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Your, your boy good. started a new job today, so uh, hit me up if you want a Porsche. Actually, please do not hit me up. Wait, I have no access. Salesperson for Porsche? You want to go there? Because no, no, um, no. I, I work in their experiential marketing department now. Uh, today was my first day. Uh, I sat through an orientation. Was quickly, uh, quickly realized I could do nothing else for the company until I got my uh, my phone sent to me. So that was actually all I did. It was pretty chill. Um, but it's gonna be fun get to mess around with some Porsches on, on the reg. So again, oh, hit me up in Atlanta. I, I can get you driving one, but I can't just give you a Porsche. What about friends and family discount? How much is it, Elijah? Um, I don't know because I'm a contractor. Porsche's weird. So I'm full time <laughs> as a contractor there. So I don't get any access to the Porsche leasing program, which apparently is sick. Like the, the HR guy just dropped. He's like, Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you know, you like, I think he was, he's just talking about all the different cars he's leased over the time here. I'm like, dude, like you're just talking about like driving this yellow convertible as if it's just absolutely normal. And then talking about, like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm looking forward to getting a take in and all this other stuff. I was like, geez, I mean, you know, I mean, I wish, but no, I cannot, I can only experiment with, uh, with creating vehicles. That's it. Well, Elijah, Everybody's normal is different, just as the big six in the Premier League's normal may soon mm. be different as well, huh? Mm. I'm feeling what so a, What a good segue. What a good segue, indeed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, as you probably can guess at this point, uh, the, the meat and potatoes of the episode today, we'll be talking about the, the breaking ground-shaking announcement that was made on the weekend uh, 12 of Europe's top clubs announced this Sunday that they were going to launch a breakaway Super League. Actually, It's actually being called the Super League, headed by Real Madrid's president, Florentino Perez. So I uh, mentioned 12 of the top clubs. The, I, I think we'll, something we'll dig into and maybe uh, at some point is, is what top clubs exactly means. I don't, I don't know how many people would consider Spurs or Arsenal to be a top club in Europe right now, but uh, Spoiler, it's not Newcastle. It's not oh, Newcastle. Yeah, it's yeah, not Newcastle. Cool one, I just want to clear that up, but sorry to interrupt, Zach. Uh, no, no, no. That is important to point out. Yeah. I saw, I forget who it was, but I saw some, some Newcastle writer uh, say, I can confirm that Newcastle United will not be participating in the Super League. Well, <laughs> no, Lee Ryder said uh, he confirms the owners do not approve of, of this new Super League. 
or the Newcastle does not approve of this new Super League. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that's like denying an invite to a party you weren't invited to. Yeah, it's like me I being like, was, oh, yeah, that was a good one. I was like, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, I'm declining my my non-invitation to the Grammys this year. I I you know that that's me on record right now saying I'm not going to the Grammys this year. I didn't get an invite, but just letting you know, I'm not going. That that's what Newcastle just did. Yeah, yeah. and I'm also boycotting the Balloon Dior. So just oh. <laughs> no further questions at this time. So, so in the, ball, the Ballon d'Or? No, Balloon Dior. The Balloon Dior. Balloon Dior. <laughs> Uh, the the twelve clubs that are going to be hypothetically uh, taking part in this, the ones who have signed on, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus coming out of Italy, out of England, which is the the largest uh, contingent. Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, and Tottenham Hotspur, and then finally out of Spain we have Athletic, O Madrid, we have Barcelona. And we have Real Madrid, of course, as I mentioned, Florentino Perez being the one to lead this charge. So a really huge shakeup. And what's interesting here is that we've kind of heard murmurs of this for quite a long time. But I think it's one of those things where nobody or not a lot of people actually expected it to come to fruition, especially this quickly. And uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say here before we maybe dig into uh, kind of rapid reaction quote from uh, Florentino Perez today. He said, we will help football at every level and take it to its rightful place in the world. Football is the only global sport in the world with more than 4 billion fans. And our responsibility as big clubs is to respond to their desires. So maybe we can start with the, the first sentence in that quote. Um, we will help football at every level and take it to its rightful place in the world. Uh, Greg, I'll start with you here. Do you believe that there is any sort of validity to saying that this will help football at every level? Uh, so it, it's that's a that's definitely a tough question. So the way I, I way I look at it is essentially it's an NFL model to soccer. That's that's the way I, I'm looking at the way they build it, um, and certainly you can argue that the NFL helped create American football development, right? Uh, but there was also nothing to compare it against. That's the issue here. Uh, so we have the, the the big differences are the NFL was created in what, like 1940, 1950? And then uh, the, or no, 1930s or something, whatever. You get the point. And then football was created you know, probably a century before that. So there's a lot more tradition uh, that's rooted in the way that and the style that football is played around the globe today. So where so it's easy to compare, oh, it's just an NFL type league. That's all it is. Well, it's it's like saying another NFL type league with that's gonna take the Cowboys, the Giants, the I don't know, pick eight other of the top NFL teams, and they're going to branch off to join another NFL league and say that it's going to be better than theirs. And then the rest of these mid tiering teams can, can do it. And we'll also draft, we'll be in the same draft, but two different leagues, like it's completely competitive. So I don't see like how it's, it's going to be to answer your question. I don't, I don't have proof to say that it will help development across the world. Um, Cause football is already, on the TVs of everywhere in the world. I don't understand how this is going to increase that. If anything, it's gonna be watching the same teams play each other more. That's about it. Uh, 
that's, I guess, the long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> well, something that I think that touches on that, that is interesting is like this idea that, and I've seen a lot of people espouse this on social media, is like the allure to our current Champions League structure. And, you know, there, there, are, there are issues with the Champions League and, and European football as a whole right now. And I don't think anybody's denying that. But one thing that does make it so alluring to watch is the kind of you know special nature of seeing a let's say Barcelona face off against uh Manchester United you know that it's something that you you're looking forward to you see that it's on the calendar whether it be in the group stages or knockout rounds of the Champions League and it's kind of a special event um so something that I, I've seen a lot of people say is that this is going to water down kind of the novelty of those matchups if you're seeing uh, you know, these these pretty high profile clubs face off on a weekly basis. Like how long will it take uh, before people aren't that interested in seeing, you know, a Liverpool Manchester City match or a, maybe a better example is an intercontinental game. So like Liverpool against uh, Inter. I, I think that there is some logic there of saying, you know, it won't take quickly of seeing this happen every week until we're just uh, like, all right, this isn't as special as it used to be. What, one thing I like to equate that to is is like uh, another sporting event in America is the Masters just took place. Like I wish, like I, I'm not even a massive golf fan. Like I don't watch golf, but I watch the Masters every time, every time the Masters is on. And I wish the Masters was every month. But if it was every month, I wouldn't be watching the Masters every time it's on. Exactly. I'd be watching. I wouldn't even watch it every time if it was twice a year. Uh, like we just had a like two pretty in quick concession, but like, I love both of those, but now knowing the back it's, it's once a year, next year the aura of the Masters will still be there, and I'll watch it. But if it happened all the time, no. Like, I, I'd watch it if something crazy was happening in the last nine holes, but that's about it. Well, there's that element of it, and then there's also the element of the underdog, right? A lot of people like to see the underdogs doing well in competitions, and in competitions like the Champions League, it's rare that you get somebody that really kind of goes far into the tournament that is not a real powerhouse team. Another example I'd give is this weekend, we had the semifinals of the um, FA Cup, right? You had uh, Leicester and Chelsea progressing to the final, but you had Leicester that played Southampton. And uh, a friend of mine, Dave, was chatting to about it today, mentioned that he was a little bit um, disappointed because he wanted Southampton to get into the final, right? So to your point, Zach, if you've got these kind of powerhouse teams playing against each other, you've got two sets of people, I think. You've got the people that like to see the underdogs go far and potentially cause an upset, and then you've got the people that want to watch the two powerhouse clubs duke it out. For me, I, I'm kind of disappointed in the Champions League draw this season in that I think that like the PSG Man City winner is potentially, assuming that it still goes ahead, uh, potentially that the winner of that is going to win the Champions League to me. The other side of the draw is inherently weaker with Chelsea and Real Madrid and looking at those two, those two teams. So I, I just have that kind of that counterpoint there, I guess, that you know there, there are people out there with differing perspectives on what makes an entertaining game. It's not always the powerhouses. It can be the David Goliath situation too. So something that I think that that kind of touches into nicely is is not just the the allure to seeing those um, seeing those underdogs make a run and the allure largely from kind of that neutral perspective. Uh, but there's also now the question of like exactly what it means to, you know, be helping 
football at every level and uh, connecting with these quote 4 billion fans. And something that I, I do want to point out and Elijah, I'd love to toss this over to you. Um, there are a lot of rumors and they seem fairly substantiated at this point that uh, simply for joining this super league, each club will receive about $350 million. And that's uh, money that's being backed by a number of sponsors, the large of, largest of which that's come out today is J.P. Morgan Chase, who is actually underwriting this competition. So, Elijah, uh, kind of a, a fairly simple but uh, maybe a complex question. Do you think that this is anything more than a money grab? Do you see this as being anything more than just the some of the biggest clubs in the world understanding that they can cash out as much as they possibly want? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you examine the teams involved uh, in 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 this, you look at every team. You got ten out of the twelve teams are teams that are you know traditional football powerhouses, but are in immense debt. I mean, uh, I we I know we all consume content from the Athletic and and from Tifo. They've done multiple videos on on Barcelona's debt on on uh, on Real Madrid's massive debt. Those are probably two of the clubs that have hit it, hit been hit hard, been hit hardest. Uh, Juventus as well. Uh, people are starting to see that, you know, maybe spending a ton of money on an aging superstar to not yield the the results they wanted. And, and these are clubs that have been in, in debt for years now. Um, and uh, Perez actually did an interview today uh, with with one of the Spanish sort of outlets that maybe a lot of people consider would be a trashier gossipier outlet. And he had I mean, I, if you if you have time, I would just go to Fabrizio Romano's Twitter timeline and just read the the quotes from Perez because he said a lot of outlandish things. But one of the things he kind of mentioned a bunch was the fact that, you know, this was a rough year for football and they feel like this is a way to get things back on track. And it's like this the Super League concept was brought to our attention in 2019. This has always been the idea for these for these teams. It's like this is a quick way for them to inject a ton of cash really quickly uh, into, in, into their bank accounts. And to call anything but that would be a bit naive. Um, I'm not going to say there's, you know, one side of this equation is worse than the other, but it's, it'd be ridiculous to ignore the fact that this, this is a cash grab. It's not helping football in any way. There's nothing developmental about adding midweek matches between so-called elite clubs. It's just a lot of these clubs are broke. They've spent a lot of money on transfers. A lot of they've spent a lot of money on flops. You can go down the list for every single one of these clubs, except for maybe the two financially stable clubs in this situation, which would be Chelsea and Man City, which were the most hesitant reportedly to to, to join this whole concept as well. But every single one of these guys has spent a ton of money and had a lot of flops. I mean, Real Madrid shelled out tons of cash for Eden Hazard, who just hasn't played. Ronaldo, I mean, that's not a flop, but they sell out a lot of money, Juventus, for, for Ronaldo. I mean, you think about the amount of money Inter spent on transfers with just how many players they brought in, all this other stuff. Gareth Bale at Tottenham is another really good example. Pepe at Arsenal. I mean, there's so many just triple-digit signings, like we're talking in terms of agents' fees, everything else, that these clubs have sacrificed over the past four or five years that they haven't gotten a return on their investment on. And they're probably never going to get a return on the investment. Nicholas Pepe, he he capped out. Like, that's the, the most you're going to get for that guy. Uh, I mean, same with Gareth Bale. I mean, that's uh, like with Madrid and Tottenham. Like, I, I love the guy, but, I mean, his time is his time is gone. Like, you're, you're not going to make money off of a Gareth Bale transfer in any direction. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a cash grab, and I think everyone knows, and I think that's probably the most frustrating part about this is that it's not really a spirit of competition. 
um, especially when you include the likes of Tottenham and Arsenal. It's not a spirit of competition. It's spirit of, oh, hey, crap, we've had five bad financial years in a row. We got to do something. And this is the easiest way to make a lot of money really quickly. So, the, I mean, there, there are almost an infinite number of different questions that people have, especially, and I, I was talking about this with you earlier today, Elijah, that like w- living in this kind of vacuum of instant news that we all live in, it's, it almost seems like this news has been out for a week or two weeks just because of how much you're seeing about it when ultimately it came out less than 48 hours ago. But I, I think some, something I, I would love to talk about um, that, that you kind of alluded to there, Elijah, is the idea of competition, right? And all of these clubs right now take part in their individual domestic leagues. Really, it's three domestic leagues represented by the, the current 12, the, the Premier League, La Liga, and Serie A. And so one thing that's really interesting to follow so far has been that according to Perez and the other kind of spokespeople for the Super League, all these clubs would like to stay in their domestic league. So the way that the scheduling would reportedly work is the Super League would essentially take the place of the UEFA Champions League. The fixtures would happen in the midweek, and then every weekend the clubs would return to their domestic league. And this is where it gets particularly interesting and particularly um, kind of, I'd say, almost catastrophic is La Liga, the football association that runs the Premier League, and Serie A. So each three different organizations have all said already that they would be willing to kick these teams out of the domestic leagues if they went through with the Super League. And I'd love to hear your opinions on that. So n- none of us are you know, legal experts or really know if that's entirely possible, but what kind of types of catastrophic consequences would that have? If Manchester United, a team that plays its football in Manchester, England, no longer takes part in the English Premier League. Adam, maybe I'll start with you on this as you're the, you're the person who uh, is most um, attached to the actual Premier League having lived in the UK for so long. Yeah, I think so if the, if the question is what, what would the impact be of removing them from the leagues, I, I think the level of competition drastically goes down, right? I think that we were, there are there are teams in lower leagues that want to come up. Like my, my father's a Norwich City fan. He just got promoted this past weekend. The reason those Norwich City fans want to make it into the Premier League is so they can have those trips to those lucrative teams. You think about, you know, historically, as I grew up in the UK, the, the real big teams are the Manchester United's, the Liverpool's, and the Arsenal's, right? The, the more recent successes are the Chelsea's, the Manchester City's, and I, I don't even. I still don't even know what Spurs have done to, to make it into this, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> You've got those three teams that have such pedigree in these leagues, and the places like Anfield, places like Old Trafford, that's where you want to go to as away fans. That's the journey that you want to take and where you want to be and the grounds that you want to be just in awe of going to. It's like what happens in the FA Cup. They always want those plum away fixtures, the lower league teams do, so, so they can have that day out. And, and for me, without those teams in it, we, we lose a lot of the luster of the, of the league. We, we really then, I think, also are going to have you know, problems with attendance um, at other games because there's not as much of a draw. There's a lot of money that's going to be lost by those other teams. And I, I feel for them. I truly feel for them. You know, there's, there's players that have 
played their entire career to make it and to get to those stadiums and to get to those grounds. And without those teams potentially in it, I think I think that the draw is just significantly less here. Um, I, I, I would I would think it would be a much weaker Premier League without those teams in it. I would I would slightly push back on that just merely from like and I and and we have to call this as it is. It's essentially like who's going to cave first in this regard. Um, I mean, legal ramifications alone. Um, I think you can argue either side, uh, and it depends on how good of a lawyer you have. Uh, like I'm, I'm sure either side feels confident that whatever whatever route they want to go, they can they can get there. But it's really I don't think it'll come down to a core battle. I think it'll come down to like who caves first. And in this scenario, if you're getting to a, a situation where if everything that is promised that could come down on these clubs happens, I mean I think you're kind of looking at a complete reset of the Premier League, and you're also looking at like a like I know the Athletic sort of they've done a really good job covering this. They, they did some coverage regarding player reaction. It's like as much as, you know, again, this is something that's a kind of reoccurring theme. Players and managers, like the owners didn't really take into consideration their thoughts and feelings and obviously not fans. It's like, there, there are guys like Paul Pogba that, you know, they would leave Manchester United for, you know, the right price. And because they want to play for the French national team, like winning a world cup for, a player like Paul Pogba is a big deal. I mean, Kevin De Bruyne, same thing. Like, I mean, lead, you know, being the leader of a Belgian team that on paper should be a World Cup contender, like, if he's not allowed to do that, like, he could leave Man City. And so I think you could potentially see a shift where it's like, you know, if people are, are – if, if these clubs are, are, are banned from the Premier League, Premier League, then there will just inherently have to be a new big six. And you can kind of argue that there already is a new big six. I mean, Arsenal, definitely this season, not in the picture, but there's been teams like Wolves and Leicester that for four or five years have been on the cusp of being just like, okay, well, as Newcastle fans, we know, like, we don't really, like, we don't go into a Wolves match or Leicester match saying, all right, well, this is going to be an easy one. Like, that's not the case anymore. And, but, we go into Arsenal matches and Tottenham matches going like, Oh, well we can nick a result here. We can, we can win. Like, I think, I honestly think Newcastle fans, like after last week's match, they're like, we can secure safety with the win over, over Arsenal. Like that's not out of the question. So I think like, to your point, like definitely some of the nostalgia, but then also to that, in addition to that, it's like some of that, you kind of like, as unfortunate as is, as a result of this, so many fans are upset that it's like, and again, this is all raw emotion. Do you really want to go to Old Trafford anymore? Like, you kind of see the owner's true colors. You're pissed about it. Like, you might be just completely done with Man United as a whole. And maybe the Molyneux is finally, is like the new Old Trafford. And so, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see what happens. But again, it, it's really hard to tell. I'm not going to act like I'm a legal expert. I'm no I'm no Red Rose Michelle. I'm, I'm just I'm just a guy. And I'm going to just say, like, I think that there there's some, I don't know if the Premier, I think, Sponsorship wise, it would it would be tough, but from a fan perspective, so many fans are so mad at the big six that at least temporarily, while team like a new big six come into power, temporarily, I don't know if fans would have that much of an issue with it. So, Greg, I want to get your perspective on this, right? As to why the six teams that were chosen were chosen, right? You've 
Elijah just made a great point. You've got Leicester that won the Premier League a couple seasons ago. You've got Wolves who have been improving year over year with with Nuno. And then you've got Everton who have just shelled out for a top five in the world manager, brought James Rodriguez to England. Like they're a team going places, right? And then you've got these two teams in Arsenal and um, Spurs who are on somewhat of a downturn. What do you think was the motivating factor in picking those six teams specifically? Yeah, I think this is an easy answer. And it's you look at who who uh, is funding it. It's American companies. Uh, nobody's going to pay Leicester 400 mil a year. Sorry, it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to pay Wolves 400 mil a year. Nobody's going to pay Everton 400 mil a year. They will pay Arsenal 400 mil a year. They will pay Spurs 400 mil a year because the fans are there. I mean, Spurs has NFL games at their stadium. Like, of course, they, they're going to make a ton more revenue. And like, like uh, there, there's, it's all money. It's all money-driven decision-making. Um, so that that's exactly why it was. Like if, I mean, like it doesn't matter, like with the history Arsenal created, it doesn't matter what place they've been in the last five years. Like they have the, if not the largest, they have the top probably five largest fan bases in the world, Sim- simply as that. So you can guarantee some significant TV ratings every time they play. Uh, and there's a lot of national media attention on them always. Uh, that's I think so. It's a very greed, money-driven answer, uh, where like the, those teams that may be doing better just don't command the fee that will be paid out in that Super League and the TV deals that they expect. Yeah, I, I would even. I, oh, I would, okay. I'll just real quick. I would even yeah, add yeah, on yeah, that the big thing is that look at who owns Arsenal and Tottenham. I mean, those are American owners, and to have access to. Like there, there's that level of, of also like, do you get a JP Morgan without the connections of a Cronky or a Levy? Like, do you get some of these big time American sponsors without those, without that, that, that American business owner connection? We all know that these owners all talk to each other, especially when you're at that, that level of income as an American NFL owners, NBA owners, it's all the same circle. Um, yes. But, you know, and, and, and in that regard, it's like, I, I think that's that's a big part of it as well. Is like you can't ignore the fact that Crocky is is American. He's a powerful business person here, and you want those connections. Levy, of course, not American, but has ties to American businesses. Built out an insanely, incredibly valuable brand. And Tottenham, like I feel like I meet more American Tottenham fans. League. Yeah, it, oh, exactly. Yeah. And you, I feel like I meet more American Tottenham fans than damn near any other team here uh it's weird like i figured you know maybe chelsea main but i don't know why i have so many friends who are tottenham fans but it just seems like they've they've got a foothold or like a stronghold on the american public and like you said greg they've got that relationship with the nfl already um so yeah i mean that i think that's a another part is like they're in there because their connections and their money and their budget and again you can sell arsenal and tottenham way better you can sell leicester and wolves despite the fact that the product in the field from leicester and wolves is significantly better. And of course we got to even throw in West Ham at this point um, is, is, is better than Arsenal or Tottenham. Yeah. It's, it's global. It's, I mean, not to, you know, echo, but it, it's global brand. And it's also the fact that um, if you look at the Premier League table this season, Manchester city first walking to the title, Manchester United 
second. So they're both in it. Uh, and then Liverpool obviously had an off year, but it was the best team in England over the two previous seasons. So um, you have three teams that are the perennial fighters. And then you have three teams located in the biggest hub in Europe, in London. So it's, I think it's, it's global fan appeal. It's the accessibility of London. I think it's, yeah, I agree with Greg, how, how you started this whole discussion. It's almost a no brainer why these were the six clubs that were picked. But I, I think that um, this is also an interesting uh, thing to look at is, you know, the reaction from former players of those big clubs. So I, that's one thing that's been really interesting to me so far is looking at what the statements have been from, uh, we'll say mainly England, because that's obviously the league that, that we follow the closest. Um, and I'd say of all the, the people who have kind of, you know, chimed in, Gary Neville has been by far the most vocal. And I think also the most respected opinion, um, he has done an interview on, uh, I think it was on BT Sport today. He did one uh, that was brought, I don't know if broadcast by The Athletic, but I initially saw it on The Athletic. And um, Neville essentially saying that this is a disgrace to English football. I, the short quote that we have here is, um, the six clubs from the EPL are an absolute joke. They are spitting on their fans. They're insulting uh, the, you know, the history of those clubs. Another couple of quotes, Jamie Character. Jamie Carragher was another outspoken member of the media saying Liverpool's apparent leading role in threatening Liverpool or football's competitive ideals is a betrayal of a heritage they are seeking to cash in on. So I think that's another thing to, to talk about here is the history of these clubs, right? And what they represent, um, not just from a financial point of view, but as, you know, the, the kind of heartbeat of uh, their you know, respective cities. And it does beg the question, like, what is the fallout from this, whether a super league is formed or not? Like, do we think that this could be a turning point for just local fandom of clubs in England and around the rest of Europe? I I'll start with this one. I think that this is finally the point where other teams are going to have the same level of hatred for their ownership as Newcastle fans have for Mike Ashley. And I think this is the closest they'll ever get to it, given the the successes that they've had, um, the history and the pedigree of those teams that have had. Because it is very clearly a divide between players and fans versus the ownership of these clubs, right? It's 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 not a decision like you you saw Jurgen Klopp in the in the media today. He's not happy about it. He's trying to bite his tongue the the best he can. But if Liverpool Football Club loses Jurgen Klopp because of this the fans are going to go absolutely apeshit. Like that is going to be a massive, massive loss for their football club. This is a coach that has won them the Premier League, the Champions League. It, it, it's un, it's un, unbelievable that that could even be a thing. And it's just such greed from the owners of these clubs. It just drives me crazy. Yeah, on that point, I had a buddy of mine that was literally like, if they lose Klopp, like Liverpool – they they go to that bottom three of this of this super league like i mean and and again like that's that's an overstatement but i think it's it's almost just a testament to how important he's been uh to 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 uh to liverpool and in transforming that and building something from from the ground up and i think i would also add i'm already seeing just you know the 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 neutrals the folks who are not, not neutrals but the folks who are not you know they're not in in england they're they are, I think my friends are done with their clubs, like straight up, like Man City fans. I, I know they're, they're done just with the speculation alone, because it's like, 
they don't want to support this. So I'm curious to see as well, like even if this doesn't go through, I think that they, they, um, they legit, like there will be some fans around the world that will walk away. Um, and I think it'll be harder for the local, the local folks, um, especially if it doesn't happen, but just knowing that the ownership's bad. And again, like you said, there's like, if you talk to a main United fan, they've complained about the, the Glazers people, Arsenal fans have complained about Kroenke. People have complained about Fenway sports group, but again, they bite their tongue because it's like, Oh, well we're successful. Like we're doing well in the league, blah, 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 whatever. You only really hear about it super bad when one of those teams falls out of the big six. But as long as you're playing in the champions league, as long as you're signing good players, it's you're, you're annoyed, but you're not the level of Newcastle fans have been with Mike Ashley. And I think, like you said, you know, even if if none of this happens, there will be a serious push to push those people out of out of out of football as well, especially the American owners. Uh, they're getting the brunt of this uh, criticism. Yeah, I think that's w- really well put, um, Elijah. Uh, so I, as as expected, there there's been a lot to sort through with you know what what has happened in last maybe like 36 hours or so uh, at the time of this recording on uh, Monday evening. So Adam, why don't you uh, toss in uh, your, your, your first EPL trivia clue. I I know we're going to bring back some of our normal sections, uh, even for this special episode. Um, Let's, let's hear the trivia and then we'll take a quick break uh, to kind of take a breath before going into a little bit more on let's the implications uh, this Super League would have uh, to world football as a whole. All right, sounds good. So um, Greg and Elijah, for you guys, EPL Trivia, we're going to ask you a quick question. Please don't answer right away. I want you to mull over this one. Let me know if you've got an immediate reaction or answer to it. That would be great, but don't give us your answer just yet. Give you some more clues throughout the pod. Which team has lost the most ever Premier League games with a current total today of 392 losses in the Premier League era. Which team has lost the most ever Premier League games with 300 oh. to date? Mm. Any names that's immediately fun. coming out for you? I, I just have a feeling yeah. it's a team that's not in the Prem right now. Mm. I like that. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's a team that's currently in the championship. That's that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. Is that's my that's my frame frame of mind right now. All right. Okay. More to come after this quick commercial break. All right, we are back with the False Nines CHN Radio crossover episode of the year, going over the Super League announcements that have come out over the last 36 hours. Um, so we we have given a lot of time to kind of dissecting the instant impacts of the Super League. I, I'd say focusing largely on a financial and domestic point of view, but an important thing here uh, is talking about the impact that this would have on world football. Uh, So one big threat that has been made by UEFA and by FIFA uh, in light of the announcement is the claim that any players on any of the teams participating in the Super League will be banned from all international competitions. So the two main ones there, uh, Euros, which is supposed to come up in uh, about a month and a half, two months, and then the World Cup. Now, Again, like a lot of aspects of this, nobody is quite sure at this moment how you know how that would be done and if there's a legitimacy to that claim, although you know, FIFA and UEFA do operate these two tournaments, so there is thinking that they would have at least some ability to restrict the players playing in them. Um, but implications there are pretty big. And I know Elijah touched on this, you know, the uh, 
the desire for for players to play for their national team. A lot of players say that above everything else, that is the biggest pride point. Um, and and it's something that came to mind for me, Elijah, when you mentioned Paul Pogba and Kevin De Bruyne, is you know there are a lot of players at the top level who have won pretty much everything at the domestic level. They've won the leagues, they've won the domestic cups, and you see the international tournaments as being that kind of golden goose, right? That that final objective that uh, obviously Pogba has won a World Cup, but Kevin De Bruyne is a perfect example. He's won everything domestically, and he hasn't won the World Cup. So um, let's start out with, with Greg here. Do you think that if we assume that um, those threats by UEFA are legitimate, that they could ban players from these international tournaments, like how do you think that that affects the not only the teams participating in the Super League, but the players who are willing to play for those teams? Yeah, I think that kills the Super League. Um, effectively kills it. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no, there would be, I think to the, well, at least I would like to think uh, for the players that like uh, playing in international competition is like part of why they got into the sport and club football. It's like country over club rather than club over country to a lot of these players. And, um, and I, I feel like the players that are uh, doing this, like everything that you play for, like you don't, I mean, I'm players always dream of winning the champions league, but do they like care about like, like winning the champions league over the world cup? Probably not. I would, I would assume I'm, I'm just generalizing here. So I, I think that effectively kills it. It kills recruitment. And then it kill then if it kills recruitment, then it kills sponsorship. Then it kills TV rights. Everything goes downhill at that point. If you find the Kevin, like, like, I mean, you take the top, the top 11 players that are in this league in the super league say half of them leave to go to other clubs not involved whether that be in germany with with like Bayern munich who rejected they were apparently part of the talks and rejected it immediately so they would not and dortmund also rejected it like maybe they go to those clubs and then they can complete compete at a world cup probably sweep the champions league easily uh maybe they go to psg wait psg's not in it right yeah, he's, he's not in it. Dortmund's not in it. RB Leipzig. All the, so there's clubs that can afford these players. Yeah. Yeah, all the German clubs were out. So like that, then they go there, and the Super League's dead at that point. I mean, if if players leave the Super League in their prime or at their best abilities and go to a club outside of it, the Super League's done. They cannot afford to lose players like that with how much money is involved. That's yeah. my thought. I agree with that. I think that you're right. That 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 is the ultimate threat, right? That's the most powerful threat that world football has to offer. And obviously, as as I've mentioned a couple of times, we'll see how legitimate that threat is. None of us truly know um, because this is completely unprecedented times. Like none of us truly know what uh, UEFA can do. I know that um, if you are to watch an interview from today, the the interview with uh, UEFA um, chief Alexander Seferin, the Slovenian lawyer and football administrator, one of one of the most, uh, I would say, one of the most powerful uh, uh, rebukes that we have seen to the news of the Super League, calling uh, a number of people uh, involved in the Super League's formation, uh, specifically Ed Woodward and Anginelli and uh, Juventus, calling them snakes in the grass and saying that there is no coming back from this. So I, I agree with what um, I believe you mentioned earlier, Greg, that it is or it is going to be kind of a question of who is willing to blink first, right? Um, who is willing to, to kind of back down? And uh, 
Uh, I agree that if they can actually ban players from the World Cup and Euros, I I don't see this being something that that realistically happens. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair. I mean, you, you think about the damage that that would have on that tournament period, right? You're you're just getting to the kind of end of the pandemic. You're starting to welcome fans back into stadiums. You want to put on a show for a tournament that you've delayed by a year and have fans in the stadiums to really kind of make the atmosphere great for that. And then you have all those players that are missing from those squads and it's just, it's, it's so much less of a tournament, right? Uh, you obviously know that I'm, I'm a whale supporter and the impact on whales would be catastrophic. I mean, the whales is a team where we've got a couple of stars, a few stars in the team. And then we've got a lot of kind of like championship league one players that try and play in there. And if you take, if you, if you were to have these 12 teams represented, you would take out Gareth Bale, Joe Rodden, Ben Davis, Harry Wilson, Nico Williams, Dan James, and Aaron Ramsey from the Wales squad. And you're left with a bunch of championship players and League One players. And this is the second time that Wales have made a major tournament in my 38 years on this planet. And that would be a massive, massive disappointment for everybody if that were to happen and come to fruition. Well, Tia, take, take it. I mean, you can take any country here, right? You can take the United States. You can take Spain. You can take Belgium. Like, you can take France. Like, a pretty significant losses there i mean you're, you're talking about like across the board mm -hmm. uh world football is is absolutely like punctured i guess is the word i'll use for it i like that no yeah. christian pulisic at the world cup mike can you imagine that literally i i put this in a group chat earlier i was like i think that's the wildest thing is that like probably the three players people are most excited about at the moment I mean, and I mean, Giannis Musa, I, I guess he's like a, a, a fourth or fifth, but really it's Weston McKinney, Serginho Dest, and, and Kristen Ballistic. And yeah. I mean, arguably also Zach Steffen. That'd be another person who's probably there. I mean, Gio I guess Gio Reyna would be like the only superstar that remains at, yeah. at 18 I, years old. <laughs> and, and Tyler Adams at, at Leipzig. So it's, it's, sure. it, it's a, it's a tough, it's tough scenario. I think the other thing that, it's just you know on this note of just implications beyond just banned from domestic play, and I think that's important as well. Is if if you can successfully like based on your sort of league bylaws claim that these players that these teams should not be in the Premier League, that kills us as well because the whole the whole notion of this is the fact that they want to make money in addition to the fact that they already are the top earners in their own leagues. If you look at just the La Liga breakdown, for example, Barcelona and Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid make up like 60%. They get like 60% of the total revenue of the league. So if you ban them from league play, that's that's millions of dollars gone from them. And they're not going to want to do the Super League because it's like, all right, well, I mean, yeah, we get this 400 million now, but like we we miss out on like 600 mil that we would have gotten at the end of the season. So I don't know why we would do this. And so and you look at that and then again with, on a player perspective, Athletic wrote about this as well. Um, I mean, just from their sources alone and WhatsApp groups and all that kind of stuff, players don't – they're not happy about this. Um, and part of it is it messes with their money. If if clubs are – especially these high-profile clubs, if they're banned from, Euro, from Europa League and Champions League, you're messing now with players' contracts who get Europa League bonuses, Champions League bonuses, things like that. And then, like you said, there are players like Kevin De Bruyne – who have won damn near everything in the world. And we keep saying Kevin De Bruyne because he's literally the perfect example. He has won everything in the world except for Champions League and the World Cup. 
and you're taking those two things, those two possibilities away from him, why would he stay at Manchester City? Like, there is literally no reason for De Bruyne to stay there. Yeah, and, but he's I mean, won a Super League. Yeah, and the Super League is like that uh, that dumb – uh, Morgan Chase Super League. That's like that, – that, right now – tournament that nobody watches. This is what – Yeah, it, it sounds like the International Cup. It sounds like the uh, – whatever that, that stupid trophy that Lanny Did United has. Did we say for, uh, No, <laughs> the no. no it, Cup? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and it's like the uh, Lanny United fake trophy that they won for beating Club America for like, oh, yes, the winners of the MLS and the winners of Liga MX. MX, they they play they play each other. It's it's a dumb made up trophy. It does not have the pedigree of even Europa League. It doesn't have a, the pedigree of the Johnson Paint Trophy from back in the day, the old Play League reference. Cup trophy. Yeah, and so it's like I, I don't know. I mean, there like I think that's something that just is overlooked, and it's easy to overlook, especially if you're an American owner, because again, players don't have that ton of like a ton of power in in the NFL. Like, you yeah. don't, like, you know, Tom Brady left the Patriots and, and Robert Kraft does, he, I mean, yeah, he's, you know, he's he's upset, sure, but he doesn't care as much as you would care if Kevin De Bruyne left your side. And players in in in, in the Prem and, well, I guess in these in these leagues, like, they, they ultimately do have more power than some of these other closed leagues players do have. I mean, if Paul Pogba wants to leave, he's got an agent powerful enough to make sure that he leaves even if it screws over uh, Manchester United, De Bruyne is the yeah. same way. I mean, Aguero's already leaving, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I don't know. It's it's something to definitely consider. Another the only guy. thing is, like, you. I mean, if with this Super League, you could pay these players absurd wages, but you're operating under the mindset that money is the only thing that drives a professional footballer. And while that may be a big part of it, when you're at the level of a Paul Pogba or Kevin De Bruyne, you're making so much money that you actually do just care about excuse me, about legacy more than anything else at this point. I agree. I, I, I was going to say, I, I don't think that the money would be a concern for these players playing in the Super League. Like, I, I think it's a good point that the bonuses are contingent on, you know, Champions League, but um, it, the, the money would clearly be there if the Super League actually went through. But yeah, I mean, you're looking, you're, you're looking at the two Manchester clubs, the top two clubs in the Premier League right now, and who are you know the top players on those two clubs? It's Kevin De Bruyne and it's Bruno Fernandez. It's two players who have never won a World Cup and two players who have won virtually everything else. And Bruno Fernandez, I don't know if you guys saw this, already um, had a little activity on Instagram today, reposting a couple of posts um, regarding you know pl- players uh, essentially uh, saying that they are against the the idea of this league so um bruno fernandez walks from manchester united kevin de Bruyne walks from manchester city there's a lot of allure that's been lost on those two clubs i do want to give some time here guys to uh, a few questions that came in from our loyal listeners and fans um because I, i feel like we've you know we've made a lot of really great points but we do have to kind of entertain um some of the questions that maybe we haven't even thought of. Um, so I'll, I'll start here with you, uh, Greg and Elijah, Adam, you guys can, can chime in as well. Um, we're going to start with a question uh, from, uh, let's see, let's start with a question from Mr. Steal Your Worldwide. Um, so a, a, a frequent uh, a frequent fan of CHN podcasts and CHN radio more specifically. Uh, so Mr. Steal Your Worldwide asked, if the Saudi takeover did happen, do you believe that Newcastle United would have been in the running to join the Super League? 
It's an interesting question, Greg, because we haven't, this is maybe the first podcast that we haven't, we've barely touched on Newcastle United. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I do not think so. I don't think it would have happened earlier enough. Um, yeah, the, the money's there, but the, like we mentioned before, like why isn't Leicester being involved is because the money isn't there. Like, yes, Newcastle would have money, but the worldwide appeal would not be there to, to, to join. This is entirely money. And that's why, like, uh, uh, no, I'll get into that later because I'm referencing something from earlier. But answering the question, I don't think so. It's entirely, like, global appeal money-driven, and Newcastle's not there yet. If this takeover happened 13 years ago when Saudi Arabia took over instead of Mike Ashley, yeah, Newcastle would probably be in it. But uh, not not at the time frame that we we're playing with here. Adam Elijah, do you guys agree on that one? Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there, Greg. I think you pretty much covered everything there. I just we're, we're not that love. We don't have that global brand, right? We have a great fan base. I think probably more so even than Leicester and Everton does. But with where the club is right now, it's just it's not the right time. Mm-hmm. I, I would slightly push back and say that you also look at what happened with Man City and look at within a three, four-year span, they went from being, you know, irrelevant to being a a legitimate player in the Premier League. And I could see Newcastle getting a fringe invite given, Mm -mm. you know, Iron, et cetera. In a few years. In a few years, they would get it. And and that's what I'm saying is, like, you build for the future. So you say, all right, well, if PSG, Bayern, and, and, you know, and and Dortmund are saying no – We've got three more spots to fill plus the additional five that we're trying to do on a yearly basis. Like I'm going to give one of those spots to a team I think will be relevant. If I'm, if I'm an investor, if I'm someone who, who's like, I know in a few years this team will have accumulated so many good players because they'll just buy up everyone. And again, this is purely speculation. I could see it happening. And again, outside chance, I'm just saying I could see it happening. That's yeah. all I would say on that. And and again, and it would it would be contingent on like that would have had to happen last year. It would have already had to been a, a takeover that occurred. And Newcastle would have had to make a splash signing in the summer that would have confirmed like, okay, these guys are for real. Like the Saudi groups, like they're they're ready to spend money and they're ready to and, you know put forth a level of investment that we saw. Fenway Sports Group, we saw um, you know, Abrahamovich, I can't say his name right, put forth. We saw, like, following the patterns that everyone, damn near everyone except for maybe the Glazers because Manchester United were already spending a lot of money beforehand. But, like, putting forth that level of investment, knowing that, okay, if they invest at this level for three seasons, they will be a, a, a legitimate team and a marketable team on the world stage. That's, that's what I would say to that. I would push back even more so now with that argument because – Manchester City, like you said, the last three to four years, well, this takeover wasn't happening three to four years, but Manchester City is a powerhouse, like a global powerhouse in football. And that's not just three to four years. That's been – how long? It's been 10. 10, 10 or 11 years. Well, I'm just – I'm saying it oh, wait, became oh. marketable within three to four years, and that's my point is marketability. No, not I, powerhouse, marketability. That's I it. I completely disagree here. I, I actually – I do not think – marketability plays away, but you have to be a global powerhouse to be in this league. And Arsenal has been Spurs was in the champions league final, uh, like Manchester city, obviously Manchester United, like, I mean, has won 
I mean, countless. So like all, all of that is there. Newcastle would have none of that of any recency or any of a national or, or decades long state. They have a zero of what any of these clubs have, even with this takeover. I think I think that's a I think that's a, a good point though that, that Greg is making there is we we have talked quite a lot about how the teams got invited because of their global branding mainly but you do have to think about the fact that yeah let's say that Newcastle had somewhat some semblance of the global brand they they get bought by um, you know the faction in Saudi Arabia and they have this influx of cash but if Newcastle is put in this league and gets battered every single game. And they 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 come in dead last in the league, which let's let's be honest here would happen if if Newcastle uh, if Arsenal that, really I mean I I don't I I think that I think that over the course of an entire season Newcastle would not last in this league even if they got bought by the Saudis and had let's say two or three new players brought in I I think that. You, you have to, Elijah, you have to combine the global brand and the ability to actually compete. And I think that if people stop watching the Newcastle games because they think it's, you know, it's going to be a blowout every time, we wouldn't be an attractive proposition for this league to, to take in. I think maybe and, six or seven years down the road after a takeover, potentially, but I, I think it would be at minimum uh, that amount of time. But but here's the, the and this is what I was trying to hammer on is one you're investing for the future and you're wasting one slot out of fifteen. Let's not forget this is twelve out of the fifteen. They 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 still need three teams. We know it's not Bayern. We know it's not Dortmund. We know it's not PSG. Like the, today, publicly bashed Napoli, Roma, et cetera, et cetera. RB Leipzig not in the picture. Who else is there? Like who who are you going to? I mean, Who I can you still going? name 50 clubs before I get to Newcastle. But I'm, I'm just saying, if you're looking at long-term investments as if this is something that you're saying for the next 10 years you want to happen, and you're like, all right, well, who's going to be an up-and-coming team? And you're not already looking at Ajax. Again, not in the picture. You're not already looking at some of these other teams that you and I, again, would say are better than Newcastle. But I'm looking at strictly from a, all right, who's going to spend the most money in the next five years it would probably be Newcastle. And that's all I'm saying is like, if you want to get ahead of that curve, you it's like you take the flyer and you know what? Guess what? If it doesn't work, they don't lose anything because at the end of the day, they were already trying to sell those 12 teams. Like new, uh, the, you're, you're talking about the 15th team out of 15. You're already, you're, 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 you're hedging your bets on these 14 other teams being the draw. And the 15th team is going to be the team everyone beats up on. But if the 15th team turns out to be really good in five years and you missed out on that, you're kicking yourself in the foot trying to beg Newcastle to join this league in five years. So you might as well get them in now. That's all I'm saying. That And, and that that's really more the point I was saying was like, I don't want to look at this as like, let's put Newcastle on the same pedestal as Liverpool, but let's look at Newcastle as a long-term project if you have a, a group that's willing to literally pump in millions and millions of dollars on player signings and, and all the likes and be able to just be like, all right, yeah, yeah, we want to, oh, sure. Holland, yeah, we'll throw 200 mil at him and pay him a ridiculous salary. Like, that's more of the what I was was hammering at because I do agree. Yeah, Newcastle would get battered, and I, I push back and say, like, in Arsenal's current state and how many how many failed transfers they've had in, in the past three, four years, like, clearly there's a recruitment issue there. 
if you give Newcastle the backing and a, an actual manager and recruitment team that knows what they're doing, I think that they could beat Arsenal uh, in this Super League. But that aside, I'm just saying, like, you're looking at team number 15 when you've already sold everyone on the 12 teams that, you know, the 12 branded teams. Like, they're, like, they're very clear in, like, all right, we need 15 teams. We're going to fill out the 15. And then, additionally, the five qualifying teams with whoever. Like, they don't care because they've already got the 12 teams that are going to sell to, to, to brands. And so by that logic, I think you're like, you got to give, you got to throw Newcastle a bone knowing that this is the richest ownership group in the world outside of Manchester City, outside of PSG. PSG have already said no. You've got Manchester City. You would be a fool not to throw Newcastle a bone anticipating that they that they do well down the road. That's a, I think that's a fair counter argument. Unfortunately, for Newcastle, we are still under the ownership of Mike Ashley, but I do think that you bring up a, a series of good points there, Elijah. It is a an investment for the future, and uh, if you you're right, if you have four billion dollars to to dump to start this league, you probably have you know the ability to to be a little risky with um, a portion of that. Uh, another question that I really like that that came in from uh, a Another uh, listener on Twitter, this one coming in from Mikel Reed. Um, Mikel asking, with all of the alleged money being thrown at the Super League teams, are you, as Newcastle fan, concerned that excluded teams will have a difficult time holding down their best players? And the example he gave was, if Arsenal offer $100 million for Alan St. Maximin, what do you do? Now, I want to preface this by by kind of taking it away from that specific example. I think that you know there has been a, there's a large contingent of Newcastle fans that think that if you know if when, when this season ends, it's going to be difficult to hold on to St. Maximin regardless of what the price tag is. But more generally, I, I think this is a really interesting question of uh, with a you know potentially 300 or so million dollars just put in the pockets of these Super League teams before the Super League even begins. They could essentially go and pick other teams apart, give them, uh, you know, to to reference the Godfather, uh, an offer that they cannot refuse. So, Adam, is that? Do you think that's a, a kind of a an equally as big concern as uh, the domestic leads being ripped apart? Is it happening in in the manner of just the best players on all the outside teams being being taken away? A couple thoughts there. Um, first and foremost it's very clear that a lot of the teams that are being touted for the European Super League are teams that have financial problems right now. So there's nothing to say that the money that they're going to garner from being included in this is not just going to be used to pay off a multitude of debts. Look at Barcelona right now. They're in a shambles financially, right? They could pay off a lot of their bills just by taking part in being and being part of this European Super League. So you don't know that that money immediately goes to transfers, number one. Number two, I think that risk is always there for the non-traditional top six teams in the in the in the Premier League, right? You've always got that risk of a big team coming in with Champions League qualification all but guaranteed every season for them. And a player like a St. Maximin in this example that Michael gave, wanting to go to that that sort of club so they can play regular, strong, competitive European football. So Potentially, yes, you give a bigger wallet to any club and there's always the risk that the smaller fish will lose their bigger players like the St. Maximins of the world, like the James Rodriguez's of the world in this instance, right? That are going to be there. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's any more of a risk with that in play than it is today. Greg? 
Any thoughts on that? Or do you, do you agree word for word with, with Adam's take? Uh, yeah. Uh, just a little like to add to it is I, yeah, I, like obviously it's the same that it is now, but I, I do think like uh, the ramifications is a lot. I can actually bring in something earlier that Elijah said, like there would just be a new, new big six. Like there would never, there would never be a big anything. Um, and this is only assuming that players can uh, like, still compete in international world football competitions, obviously, because that will add to the ramifications of it. But if this goes through and players can also compete elsewhere, uh, it, it would essentially like everything will leave the premier league. All, all the big players, like all the TV rights will go towards the super league. And I keep talking about money because it is so important in this instance. Like you think of like all the local fans, all the loyal fans of these clubs, there's way more plastics. Plastics outnumber the local and loyal fans by the millions. You look at, think of India, you think of China, you think of America, you think of Africa. All, all those continents watch six clubs. <laughs> That's what they watch. And the TV markets are going to be like every, like all NBC no longer going to be doing Premier League if this happens. So it's going to be more apparent. I think it's going to be way worse than what it is now, even though now we can't compete as it is. It's going to be just a, you talk about a gap. The gap's going to be astronomical to where like our even viewing pleasures of the Premier League won't be as accessible as it is today. It, it'll be like Bundesliga uh, where like, I mean, uh, until ESPN plus, I mean, Bundesliga, you just had to deal with whatever they showed you. Like it was going to be Dortmund. It was going to be Bayern. It was going to be maybe Schalke because Weston was there. And then, Outside of that, like, if you wanted to follow Bundesliga as an American fan, like, you'd have to stream it in German. Uh, and, and, and like, I think it's it's important to, to point out, like, it, it's all very contingent on how this happens. Like, if they push forward with this regardless because they know that they're going to immediately get funds and they're, like, fine with not being in the Prem, they're fine with not, you know, with not being in, in UEFA competition, they're fine with – player like because they genuinely only care about the money then it becomes a more interesting question um but like like greg said it'll be interesting to see what happens um and and i don't know i mean and to push back a little bit on nbc pulling out of the prem they might get outbid by like an amazon or another sort of like a lot of streaming platforms up and coming would pay top dollar for this you know Europa's this Europe's this super league whatever they want to call it and so like I don't know if we would see maybe TV rights backing out but I do think in like three four years when they have to renegotiate it's going to be a much lower number I think it's more likely I think what's more likely is if this gets passed I don't know if NBC has the bandwidth to just completely pull their Premier League package and throw as much money as maybe an Amazon or even a Paramount can do um we saw how Paramount just completely took over Champions League coverage from from Turner within the blink of an eye because they have that capital. Like NBC definitely does, but will they is is the real question. Are they do they want to get into a bidding war with Amazon? Like I don't that sounds awful. Um so I mean that's a bit of a an aside from the original point. But again, the fears are always there if you're in Newcastle, if you're in Aston Villa, if you're a, a Leicester. I mean Leicester won won the uh they they won the Premier League and lost their best players all within three seasons, and they had to except for Jamie Vardy, of course, but they had to rebuild from scratch from scratch essentially. So um, we'll see. Yeah, I, th I think 
to to kind of close the book on the the question about like uh viewership or uh, excuse me broadcast rights um i think an interesting thing to think about is you know if if the premier league and the domestic leagues let's say these teams don't get kicked out and they they create the super league so they're playing super league in the midweek they're playing uh domestically on the weekend the domestic league will take a back seat for them you know they will rest players in the premier league because they have an upcoming super league match because that is where the money is coming from and i think that that's an interesting thing to think about is imagine a future in which you have a uh, manchester united versus liverpool match in the premier league on the weekend and they're not playing three or four of their best players because they're saving them for a knockout stage match in super league during the midweek like what is the quality of games that you will see in the Premier League? And I think that's an interesting thing to kind of think about is, you know, yeah, you have these these heralded historic 120-year rivalries that will now essentially not matter to the clubs as much. They'll be playing their academy players in a late-season derby match in the Premier League because it just – that's not where the money is. And I think that, Greg, you, you make a really good point is it is – we we no matter how many times we talk about it being a money grab, we can't forget about how much about the money this is. I know that that sounds wonky, but um, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to to think about there. Um, last bit of questions, we we went over kind of most of the questions that we had submitted. Um, so apologies to the folks whose questions we we didn't answer. But Greg, I wanted to hand it over to you for for questions from Trevor uh, for this yeah. section. So yeah, something that we haven't covered yet and i didn't think that we'd get there this is uh some pretty two two questions i have that we can ask to the group is one is uh about the risk of players who currently aren't on our super league clubs speaking out against the super league clubs it's uh, players on on the rosters of these current clubs obvious reasons why those aren't speaking out but you have your like under herrera and Mesut Oso who have spoken out because they've been there they've done that they're not in their prime and they're not playing for these big clubs but your alan st maximins the guys who have the potential to play for these clubs the risk of speaking out against this because could it ruin their chances uh, if they're adamantly against this of playing for those clubs is that why we haven't seen that many players speaking out against it? Because we haven't. Um, and, and if players have spoken, it's been very broad and very high level. Um, does Is there a huge risk for these players to like to actually speak out together? And then I have a follow-up question. But Zach, you haven't answered any questions, so we'll start with you um, on your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I would say that I, I think that is a really good question. I, I think that, you know, the, the time frame that has passed since the announcement of the Super League that uh, came out yesterday is a little short, uh, a little premature to kind of be able to judge, you know, what the reaction from current players will be. I think that in the coming weeks, if this doesn't get resolved in the next few days, and I, I doubt that it will, um, that that will be a little bit more telling. However, to, to answer the question directly, do I think that there is an inherent risk for you know a player like, say, Maximin, maybe a couple of the players like uh, Raul Jimenez would be another interesting one. You know, players on the cut, Pedro Neto, players kind of on the cusp of potentially playing for these uh, quote-unquote super elite teams. I think there there is definitely a risk. I don't. I do not. If I had to make a guess, I don't think that you'll see statements from those kind of, if you will, fringe players. Uh, because yeah, I mean they they have no idea how this is going to play out. They're in the same boat as as we. And I think that there is there is far too big of a risk 
for them to potentially alienate themselves if you know this does come to fruition and if um playing in the super league becomes you know the the ultimate uh the ultimate place to play their football yeah uh, i would i would also add i think it's also important to look at a perspective like is an alan say maxman is he more jazzed about the idea of playing for arsenal versus psg i mean this is a guy who's french PSG has been the top dog in France for his entire life. Winning a championship with PSG, if I'm a French player, that's probably the dream. So I think that that's, I mean, it's something worth mentioning. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it, it's a it's a nervous situation. I do think, I also want to say, like, like I think us being in America, it's, it's a weird perspective because I was talking about this with a friend. He's like, oh, why haven't Premier League players spoken out? I'm like, well, for the most part, like in America, we're so used to just players just having press conferences and having media availability every single day, like practices, et cetera, et cetera. Like what Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving says at practice, like gets broadcast to the entire world. Where in the Prem, like players don't really get interviewed unless they are a match hero during a match in which they've won. Like today is a good example. Leeds played Liverpool. We saw Patrick Bamford. He he was one of the players who, again, is in that sort of boat of Patrick Bamford's a, a nice prospect who, you know, in the future could be going to a bigger club than Leeds. Uh, he spoke out against it. James Milner, club legend, uh, you know, kind of jokingly, but, you know, club legend of Liverpool, he spoke out against it. So it's like I do think there's also that level of do they have the, even the opportunity and platform to speak out about it? A lot of Premier League players tend to not really use social media as much as we see an NBA or an NFL player use. And I think that's just the culture of, of soccer in, in Europe as well. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, Messi, like their tweets are usually not, you know, just random tweets. They're brand sponsored tweets. They got someone running their Twitter account. So the only sort of opportunity for them to speak out a, a, about this stuff is usually an interview, which is why what Marcus Rashford did this past year in UK was such a big deal because players don't usually tweet out about any sort of issues at all. And so I think that's something important to recognize. Is like I'm I'm sure as the weeks go along and players are directly asked about this, we'll have a better understanding of what they are. But for now, I kind of give them benefit of the doubt and be like, well, the platform players usually get is that post-game interview. And if there's no games that have been played really since this has occurred, I can't expect everyone to just, you know, you know, have, you know, that microphone, even though in America that's commonplace. Yeah, but is it is it a risk for the players to do that? Just a short answer. We don't have to dive in like there. Do you think it's a risk if a player I speaks? Think, I think yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I think I think truly it is. Because if they've got those aspirations of playing for those top six teams, you got like Chelsea versus Brighton tomorrow, right? Um, so you've got Chelsea who are going to be in this Super League apparently, and then you've got Brighton who have got some really good, talented young players like the Neil Mope that might want to play for them one day. You've got the Tariq Lamptey that played at Chelsea before that you know is trying to make a name for himself there. Those sort of players that are going to want to play for these big teams, Bamford's probably hit his glass ceiling at Leeds. I don't think he goes much higher than that. So um, let's let's see what happens in the post game for that one, and then subsequently on Wednesday. We've got who's Wednesday? Spurs, Southampton, and Villa, Man City. Maybe Jack Grealish comes back from injury and plays his first game on Wednesday against Manchester City. Be interesting to see what Mr. Grealish has to say, right? I mean, I think it depends on the player. Like, I think for so many, uh, you look at Sergio Dest's transfer saga. Like, 
so many there were so many better offers on the table for him but he chose to go to barcelona because that's been his dream since he was youth so i mean it is going to be player to player and it like it depends on that player if alan say maxman's ultimate dream is to play for psg he could speak out against this because he doesn't care like it'd be cool to play for manchester city but at the end of the day he wants to represent that psg shirt and i'm i'm just saying that as i know he's french and that's just a natural assumption to make that eventually he might, but I do think it does depend on the player. Like I think a lot of the young British players won't say anything. I definitely get your point, but it, that is the extreme majority. Most yeah. of those players aren't going to have those yeah. situations of being French, right? Like the majority is is like that's that's the big key, and I, that's I was just curious, but it, it is something to think about, obviously, because ASM might want to go back to France, but he also might also want to play in the Super League. So he's – and or, or might have always wanted to play for Liverpool is probably what I would say. But Yeah, but say, like, that's the thing is, uh, do players want to play for – it's like at a certain point, do, does your perspective as a player change as to do I want to associate myself with this club if it's going to be Super League or bust? And that's the tough situation is, like, if this – if you speak out against this and Super League doesn't happen and you never get to play for Liverpool, that's, that's the tough question, really. I think that's kind of what you're also hitting with, like – you don't care about Super League. It's a risk. club, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a risk. Yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. very yeah. player dependent. I think. Now, the other question. So, actually, first, real quick, uh, since we were talking about some midweek matches, I was just thinking about this nostalgically because this would be the most beautiful thing that ever happened. Is at the protests outside of uh, the match today, uh, Leeds and Liverpool fans got together and they chanted six greedy bastards. You know what you are." Um, both together, like two fan groups in like combined chanting that at the stadium. Imagine two things. One, COVID didn't happen. And then that would be all in this glory world. But then the Super League announcement happened exactly as it did. And this Saturday, Newcastle travels to Anfield. <laughs> Imagine what those supporters would be doing in that away end, <laughs> chanting about the Super oh, yeah. League. It would be black, literally black and white and red holding three. hands. It would be the most talked about storyline because those Newcastle would lead the charge of whatever happens to any of those clubs from that day forward because it would be that epic. Our way end would be top class from that moment. I mean, it already is, but the world would understand. <laughs> Again, when you talk about timing of this announcement, like they they chalk it up to like, oh, yes, the COVID-19 pandemic. When, again, we were talking about this in 2019 and 2018 and 2017. I mean, it's no surprise they launched this knowing that there was not going to be any chance that fans could do anything substantial. Like there's a reason this wasn't launched in 2019. And yet like all these clubs were still in debt in 2019. Like they still wanted money. It was still a cash grab in 2019, but there were fans. And so, I, I mean, I, it's no surprise that this, this occurred at this particular moment where there is no chance that you get any sort of fan, uh, you know, incidents that could occur, any sort of press box storming. Yeah. Uh, and just last question, uh, assuming that the people like the players are majority against this, should the this is the last question from Trevor is should would it be a good idea for the 12 club captains to come together and announce that the players will boycott playing in the Super League? I mean, that, that would be that would be the end game, right? Like that would be the, the, the greatest thing that could possibly happen in world football right now is, um, is the, yeah, the United, you know, United, we stand, whatever separate, we fall type mentality and everyone, everyone comes together. Um, do I think that that's, do I think that's going to happen? Most likely not because those 12 
captains are, are being paid by 12 clubs that that want the exact opposite but oh man that would be that would be the greatest thing that could possibly occur uh, is <laughs> is that sort of yeah that sort of announcement yeah. yeah i would that would kill it everyone's kind of said it players and fans and managers have to speak out against this for anything to happen as soon as you show that blip of like this there you're not on the same page like there's a potential that players managers and and fans could leave that's when sponsors back out that's when a jb morgan's like hey wait time out you the entire liverpool side everyone in arsenal everyone in man they don't want to do this like they're and they're public and publicly condemning it we're going to back out that's when that that's when that happens so it would be cool again will it happen I don't know, maybe after the events of this week and the weeks going forward and they see kind of that it's really less about the players and more about the owners, maybe they do that and take that risk. Um, but again, similar to the Alan St. Maxman sort of hypothetical where it's like if you speak out, you know, what's the risk there? There's still a risk if you're a player even contracted on, underneath one of these clubs. You could be messing up your future destination, your contract, all that kind of stuff. So I understand the, the hesitancy if you're a player to, to do something like this. Yep. I think last point I'd say on that is the the precedent was set for this when the PSG Istanbul game happened in the Champions League earlier this season and the players staged the walk-off after the racist incident on the field, right? So I think we've kind of, we've set our stall now that like players are going to be willing to do that. That was in the middle of a game, right? Why, why couldn't these 12 captains do it, you know, independently and come together and do this together, Greg? I think it's a great question. I... I want to I want to close this out by by asking you guys uh, um, I guess a bit lighter of a question uh, to each of you if you could see one current active football player in the world give a completely candid interview on uh, their feelings regarding uh, a potential super league who would it be and I'll start by saying it would be Jamie Vardy for me and it wouldn't even be close. Oh, geez. I mean, you, you you said a simple question, but like that's something I'm not prepared for. And also a really good question. Geez, man. Um, geez. Who do you guys have? Like, and the player has no ramifications at all. No. I probably Paul Pogba. Um, I think I like for that. me, I, I obviously like with some of the proposed sort of sanctions that could come against this he's a player who is very open about how he loves playing for the french national team obviously aspirations to win the champions league all that kind of stuff so that side of the equation i think would lead to a, a solid collection of quotes and he's electric he's a player that you know is controversial and i'm sure he's probably got some stuff to say that if he was given the opportunity to be unfiltered he would just let it loose my answer my answer would very simply be erling holland Hottest name mm -hmm. in football right now isn't currently in the Super League because he's at Dortmund, but is being rumored to be signing for, I think, all 12 of the teams that have been. <laughs> well, OK, let, let's remove Tottenham and Arsenal from that. Let's let's throw them. Like, okay, we know. <laughs> yeah, Holland is a good shout. I like that. He, he has he has the future of football in his hands. So I might as well. That's as well really the person. If, if Holland comes out and says something, then it's dead. Because, like, he's very much clearly the future of football. Um, I mean, Mbappe is, of course, another good shout as well. But I do think, like, when you talk about players who were slated to move to these particular clubs this summer, like, let's be real. No one thought Mbappe was leaving PSG this summer. And, I mean, 
it may be Real Madrid, but again, we know their financial situation. Holland is a player who, like Adam said, has been rumored to go to Man U, rumored to go to Liverpool, rumored to go to Chelsea, rumored to go to Man City, rumored to go to Real Madrid. I mean, like he's a lot of these clubs he's been connected to. Again, outside of Arsenal and Tottenham, we we there no chance, no chance. Greg, 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 who do you, who would you who would you want to see sit down uh, for an exclusive interview on this? Uh, it would be Messi. Ooh, uh, I I was thinking about that before. And that's another person. Yeah, and with uh, Barcelona, he's been kind of fighting against that for a while. Barcelona and and the club in general, and then uh, his words would go a long way because he's kind of a quiet. He does it on the field. And uh, if he came out, especially against it, uh, it would it would lead to pretty massive ramifications. And another like player who could move to some of these other clubs, like rumored to potentially look at Man uh, He's going to the Philadelphia Union, so. Yeah, okay, that's fair. He'll finally fulfill his dream of playing. Yeah, he has and... rights on him, so. Yeah. Oh, um, okay. No, I like that. I like that. I feel like we each gave a very – a great but a very different answer. Me going yeah. with the kind of just comical side. Uh, I, Elijah, your I, answer, Jamie Vardy's wife, Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca, <laughs> Rebecca Vardy. I want to see. I, yeah, I want to see Rebecca Vardy and uh, Miss Rooney sit down for an interview and both get both get uh, a quote on this. Um, all right. Well, this was uh, a a fantastic breakdown uh, of. You know everything that's gone on again. It, I can't believe that this has all happened in the last 36 hours because it does feel like you know the 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 volcano that has been building for millions of years just erupted. Um, but yeah, lads, thanks for for hopping on for a uh, emergency. Anybody anybody have anything closing to say? Oh, Adam, wait, EPL trivia. <laughs> Do you want to finish up EPL trivia? All right. Am I giving Am I giving the answer now? Give 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 us the uh, give the us another hint. I have a, I think I know it. Okay, uh, okay. So reminder on the question: Which team has lost the most ever Premier League games with a current total of three hundred and ninety-two? Here's okay. your here's your first clue that might sway you if you're leaning this way. Um, there is a club that currently has three hundred and ninety, so two behind, and that club is Everton Football Club. Okay, then I think my answer still remains. Okay. okay, I think it's I have really an idea. Interesting. Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm changing my idea. Well, there's one more clue, I, right, Adam? One more clue at the very end of the pod, yeah. I think I think we're <laughs> I think we're Are about we I think so. I think this is a pretty lengthy podcast to begin with. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, let, yeah, let's let's maybe wrap this. All right, sounds good. I'll give you the final clue and then I'll let you give your guesses then. Okay, so I know final, the answer. Okay. Final clue is three players from this club were members of the 1966 World Cup final winning England team. So these okay. are le- legends from this club. I'm going to name them for you. Uh, Bobby, okay. Bobby Moore, Jeff Hurst, and Martin Peters were all club legends for this club. All right, I'm going to go out and guess because I was thinking about teams that I think like for a long time have been sort of mid-table teams that and sometimes, you know, hopped into the low ta- lower lower side of the table, but somehow still, like, in terms of just have always been a staple in the prem, I'm going to renege on my, like, this team's in a, a championship spot right now. I'm going to say it's West Ham. Um, I feel like this is the club where, like, for the longest, basically until this season, everyone's like, ah, yeah, that's a, that's a win. We can, we can beat West Ham. Like, I feel like that's been the case with West Ham. So I'm going to go with West Ham, 
Everton being number two sort of confirms it because I feel like Everton's in that same sort of category of like been in the Prem for a while. Also a team that everyone on uh, circles on their, on their calendar. I was like, okay, we could probably beat West. We could probably beat Everton. Greg, where, what are you going with, sir? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of knew the answer to this because uh, I have a buddy of mine that is a West Ham supporter and <laughs> I was looking up facts on why Newcastle is better than West Ham. That's the fact that I found the most enticing. <laughs> was the fact that they literally lost more matches than any other club. Uh, so I, I, I didn't know if that changed. And I was like, well, it could have been like also Sunderland could be in play here. Um, but I just didn't know like because Sunderland's been in the Prem a long time and just never been good in it. So I, I thought there was a, a mix. Like So I was a little torn, but I was going to go with West Ham because I know I've seen that before. Uh, so I think Elijah might be correct in what he came up with. Zach, I, mean, I think you're correct as well there. Zach, do you Yeah, I, I think that on the back of Greg, having read this statistic online, <laughs> I too will be going with West Ham United. <laughs> you okay, are. wait, wait, Zach. If Greg hadn't gone, what would you have gone with? For some reason, Liverpool came to mind for me just because I was thinking of teams that, like, like, I don't believe Liverpool's ever been relegated. So I was thinking of maybe like an accumulation of losses more than like a number of bad seasons. But Bobby Moore, I do know that like that, that was a little bit of a tip off. Um, so, yeah, I, I like I'll this. say I'll say I think Newcastle's in the top five. Newcastle is in third place. Yeah, I was good. Yeah, Newcastle. There you go. Hey, West Ham United is the correct answer. Good job, guys. Oh, wow. Hey. Good. This is the first time I've gotten anything right on this podcast, so I'm gonna just, you know, tap my, tip my cap, pat myself on the back because I finally defeated Adam. So uh, thank you. Can I can I leave you guys with one thing? I've got a quick ten and ninety for you. I promise it's a quick fire one here, Zach. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Can I, can I wrap go it up? It. Other news that got kind of buried today, and we don't have time to go into it. Jose Mourinho was fired from Spurs. So my ten and ninety theme for today is Jose Mourinho quotes. True or false? So true, oh. true if you think it's a Jose quote, false mm-hmm. if you think it's from somebody else. You guys ready? Yeah. Go yeah. For it. Okay, quote number one. Please, easy one to start with. Please don't call me arrogant, but I'm a European champion, and I think I'm a special one. Yeah, yeah he that definitely said real. that. Yeah, that, he said that. <laughs> yes, he did. That is true. He is the special one. Correct. Okay, quote number two. If I walked on water, my accusers would say it is because I can't swim. Like that Jesus is, Christ. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's him. That sounds very Jose. That was actually false. That's Bertie Votes while he was Scotland manager said that. Oh, I also even... said Bertie Bruce. said that? Yeah, Bertie Votes. <laughs> I think he's Steve Bruce or not with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. Question number three. Or sorry, I guess statement number three or quote number three. Rome wasn't built in a day, but I wasn't on that particular job. I'm positive that Jose Mourinho said that. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't know. I'll go no because I feel like Jose is very much like he comes to a sign and he's like, yeah, I got to I gotta tear everything down. Like, let, we got to start like, from scratch. It sounds like Bruce Arena. <laughs> <laughs> club club legend for Nottingham Forest, Brian Clough said that way. Oh, yes. Seven, yeah. Shout out All to right. me and Greg. Number four, you can't win the treble every season, but I've done it twice. And I think twice is a lot. 
I feel like <laughs> that just, I, that's not true. That's how, you that, can win it every season. <laughs> but I also think that like Jose would say something like that, even though I, I'm not going to look to see if he's won the treble twice, but did. that feels like something he would say. You guys agree? True on that yeah, one? Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. I like his – I like it. Like, Jose Mourinho has this tendency to, like, minimize an accomplishment but then say that he's, like, the only person who's done the accomplishment. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's absolutely a Mourinho quote. Good job. <laughs> All right, number five, final one. He is like a PlayStation player. He is the best in the world by some distance. And this quote is about Lionel Messi. Ooh. Ooh. It, it, I'm leaning false here because it's not about himself. It's not about Jose Mourinho. It's about someone else. So I'm going to say false. I could also see like Zidane saying that and not Mourinho. Yep. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a, logic. It, is, it is false. I threw this one in because this one was Jose's arch nemesis, Arsene Wenger, that said it in oh. European competition about Messi when Barcelona knocked him out of the Champions League. My favorite quote is the Mourinho, if I speak, I'm in big trouble. That because that that gif is something I use all the time. <laughs> you just gotta pistol whip it a little bit. That's the yeah. best Mourinho quote. Yeah. <laughs> we'll certainly we'll certainly miss the Mourinho quotes from the Premier League, assuming he is not right back there immediately. Okay, okay. I know we're 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 killing on time, but this was something that legitimately was a topic of debate. Mourinho at Newcastle, that's been something that people have been, for some reason, debating today. Real because quick. He worked under he worked under Bobby Robson. He's like, well, yes, Bobby yes. I, like, I, like we know why, but like okay. I don't know why it's a debate. People are like, it, it, would you t- if right now if Mourinho says I'm coming to Newcastle, would you say yes or no? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many Newcastle fans that are like, I don't want him anywhere near the club. I was like, do you see who's the manager? Like, <laughs> you would not take Mourinho over Steve Bruce? Like, I don't know why. I just felt like we had to go on record and say that, like, Mourinho is a better manager than Steve Bruce. Ergo, if Mourinho comes up to Mike Ashley right now and says, I will manage Newcastle for a middle of season, you have to say yes if you're Mike Ashley. And for some reason, there are Newcastle fans out there that are saying, don't come near our club. It's less about wanting Mourinho to manage Newcastle and more about somebody other than Bruce to be yes. managed. Yes. And, and that's my point, honestly, is, is yeah, it's just you're, you're, you're choosing between Bruce and Mourinho. Yeah. Eddie Howe is holding out on Celtic. Apparently, he's talking to us. So I don't know how true it is, but apparently that's a real thing. So we'll oh, see. okay. That'd be nice. All right. Apparently Celtic is trying to get him to sign for two weeks, and he's told them, and sources from Celtic say, he's been talking to Newcastle and wants to see it out first. So we'll wait and find out. Right, Ryan <laughs> Fraser's got to be swearing right now. Here and here. Right? Hey, wanted to go home, this will help, right? Yeah. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, guys. Well... Again, for the second time, I, this was a fantastic podcast. And um, I don't know, if, if somebody listens to the entirety of this episode and has any questions about the Super League, please hit me up on Twitter because I don't know how there could be anything, anything that you have left to ask. Yeah. Zach, if they have questions on it, they should read Elijah Newsom's article on Coming Home Newcastle because oh. the answers will be right there. Boom. Ten tweets, ten-ish tweets plug. about this whole uh, this whole fiasco, including the Newcastle perspective. Someone said, "Like, oh, the the Saudi group, they'd be opposed to this." No, they wouldn't. This is free money for them. 
they they would take this in a heartbeat. Let's right, let's be real. Full time. <laughs> yeah, the the I yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bring up a question of what are the ethics of the Saudi consortium trying to buy Newcastle United. We don't need to we don't need to go on that one. <laughs> All right, guys. Good stuff. Well, Great good to have stuff. you. Thanks, Greg. Good crossover. Footy yeah. lads, footy. Footy. Love you guys. Peace.